and welcome to the Divine Renovation Podcast. My name is Dan O'Rourke, and along with me this morning is Father James Mallon. Morning, Hi, Father. Dan. How you doing? I'm doing great. And also alongside me is Ron Huntley. Hey, Ron, how are you? Glad to be here. Great, thanks. Awesome. So, it's been a while since we've been here. Uh, this is the first chance for us to be back in the podcast uh, recording booth for a while. Our last one, we apologize because we were going to be taking a hiatus for, for a short stretch. Uh, but we're back. Better kind of, kind of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. We've got coffee here. We have coffee. Oops. Oops. Coffee, and you're, you're learning not to hit your microphone. Uh, we're, we're, you know, this is new to us in a lot of respects. Uh, so we, we've had this amazing event, uh, this conference, and um, I think it left us with a, a lot of, of new things. And one of the, I think one of the things we can take away was a lot of people want to know how to get started. Yeah. So why don't, why don't we have a conversation today exploring some of the ways that, you know, uh, people who are at the conference, or even if you've just read the book, or uh, if, if, you, if something's lit you on fire and you're like, all right, I'm ready for a divine renovation, uh, what the heck do I do now? Uh, what, what's, what are some of the things we should, we, what should some people be looking to do? Well, I think, um, you know, our, the, the conference, for, for the listeners who were here, you, you know what it was like, but some of the listeners weren't at the conference, you can watch the plenary sessions, they're available on the St. Benedict live stream for now. You can access that through divinerenovation.net. That was a part of the conference, but it was a, it was really over two days, and it was it was intense. It was we started with Mass at 8 o'clock, uh, half past 8, and we pretty much went right through to 9 o'clock at night, but we, we had time for food. But a couple of people... <laughs> pee breaks. A couple of people said it was like trying to drink from a fire hose. Uh, I mean... Yeah, we, we crammed a lot of stuff in, and it was fine. It was good. But then you've got to go back and digest it somehow. And, and sometimes people go home feeling overwhelmed. They've received so much. They've seen so much. They've been moved so much. So They've been moved so deeply. It's like, my goodness, what the heck do I do with all this? Where do I begin? And, and sometimes you can be overwhelmed, but sometimes you can be like, right, I'm going to do this, 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 and this all in the first six weeks. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. So what's reasonable for the first six months, for the first year, if you're really starting off? That's what I think what we want to hit at at this podcast. I agree. It's really fun. And I love that enthusiasm. Like if, you, if you're listening to this and, and you've been inspired from one thing or another and you're just jacked to make a difference, I just want to encourage that enthusiasm. Don't lose it. Uh, life has a way of beating it out of you sometimes. But seriously, don't lose it. That's, a, that's the energy that you need and require. Well, that was the starting point happen. of the conference. The, the first talk was on, was on passion. You know, we ask the question, are you feeling it? You know, if you're not feeling it, you're not going to lead it. And we're, we give thanks to God that there's a lot of people feeling it, that people left yeah. the conference. And I hope as you're listening, you're still feeling it. You still, you still got that splankna. And if you don't know what splankna is, you can check out the, the first talk. So, so what do you do with the splankna right now? <laughs> Uh, so what's fascinating for me anyways was that you know we, we, we occasionally we get uh, notes, emails, phone calls from people who've read the book and they get all jacked and excited. This was a, a sort of a first experience of like getting you know 600 of them together and it, it, it's amazing <laughs> when you actually get to see it in person sort of the enthusiasm that people have about you know taking their parishes from where they are to where they think they could be. It, it is absolutely phenomenal. Mm. So l let's talk a bit about uh, year one. So what would what would be you know or well, week one? There's a, there's a well-known saying from Rick Warren that says most pastors uh, overestimate what can be achieved in one year and underestimate what can be achieved in three years. And I think it's important to keep that in mind. So we've come up with uh, five things that we think that, that you can begin to, to go, you, you can do in your first year. And the first thing is, is clarifying and articulating your vision. You know, because your head might be full of, of things to do and, and plans. Well, uh, that's around executing and tactics and strategy. 
Uh, but before you start making a plan about where you're going and how you're going to get there, you better be clear on actually where it is you're going. So what is your vision? Mm-hmm. And and it may there might be something burning in your heart, but you need to take time to clarify it for yourself. Like as a leader, as a pastor or whoever's listening, actually sit down and write it out. Even if it takes a few pages, you know, describe that that picture of the future that makes you passionate. And don't write a plan. Just paint the picture. Just say, what does it look like? What does it smell like? What does it taste like? What's what's happening in your parish 10 years from now, if anything were possible, that would make you so excited that you can't sleep at night? And get that. Write it down. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the, the that's the, the passion that's burning in your heart. That's that's step one when it comes to vision. It's funny. Just yesterday, I was on. Was it yesterday? Yeah, yesterday. I did a Zoom meeting with some people uh, who were kind of rest. They had some questions for me, and so we had this Zoom meeting. And there were four of them on the Zoom. One was the pastor, and and three of his really close uh, people that he works with. Now, a Zoom meeting—that's the technology. That's not the speed at which you spoke, was it? <laughs> Sometimes it is, but yeah, it was the technology for having video conference. And it was really neat because I asked them that question: If you were ridiculously successful in five years, how would you know? And, it, and I asked the pastor to actually tell me last. And it was interesting because all of them were on the same page, but they also already had an idea of what they wanted to talk to me about. And you know what it was about? Basically catechesis. Mm. And I said, is catechesis going to get you what you just said? And they all went, no. Mm. So I was like, okay. So we just spent a long time working on a two-year plan, and you just ruined it for us. But, but that so happens no, you so ruined often. it for yourself. <laughs> it happens so often. I, about a year ago, a Perry sent me a strategic plan, and please don't do that. By the way, uh, <laughs> that must be the, that was when we were still, you know, respond trying to respond to Individual everything. Requests. But I remember looking at it, and it was like a great plan. But but where are you going? And they were like. Uh, we're not, sure. we're not sure. I said, what's your vision? They didn't have a vision. They had a plan to go somewhere, but, yes. but no vision. So it's important for the leader first to have that in, in, in his or her heart. And then you've got to articulate it. Uh, so write it down. But then you've got to begin the task of communicating that vision because it, it, you know, the vision for a parish is going to begin in the heart of the leader, but it's not going to simply be the leader's vision imposed on the parish because you can't impose vision. People can only be won over to vision. It can only be caught and, 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 and shared. And when something is shared, it will change somewhat. So that, that means you're going to have to, you know, especially if you've come off the conference or any other conference and you're all fired up or read a book, Sit down with your key people, have a cup of coffee and say, look, this is what's burning in my heart. Does, does, this, does, does this make your heart burn too? And find out how many people have heartburn in your parish. <laughs> and don't treat it. <laughs> yeah, don't treat it. Like, like find like who are the key influencers uh, on your staff, on your pastoral council, among your parishioners, depending on the size of your parish, and, and see who's got that common passion for the future. It's incredible, too, because once you start to identify that and uncover that and get excited, because it is exciting, as you start to get excited about that, obstacles get smaller. Objections seem less unmanageable because you start to create what's possible in your heart and in your mind. And it's incredible how much energy that creates that's positive and that can overcome things that seemed unsurmountable in the past. It's when we try to implement plans without a vision, like you said earlier, people won't necessarily buy into that. Plans aren't that exciting. And the thing is about vision, you've got to come back to it again and again and again because vision leaks. I remember I learned that the hard way around here years ago because every once in a while people would, the staff would give me blank stares. And I was like, they said, said, Father Jane, we don't know what you're talking about. And it was like, well, I spoke about that six months ago. 
you know, like, how come you don't remember? And and the point is that, especially when we're in the the midst of the reality of parish life, it, you you don't you. You you don't see the forest from the trees. Sometimes you get you get overwhelmed with all the details, and so you need to articulate that vision again and again and again and again. Now, before you move to executing or making any major changes, another key part of communicating vision, of course, is to the people of the parish, because there's got to be a, a, a critical mass of people who are just as excited about where you're proposing to go as you and your key leaders are before you start actually moving things. Because if you don't have that buy-in. Uh, at least from a substantial number of people. You're not going to get definitely all the people, but if you can get 30%, 40% of the people excited about it, you can begin to move, but you've got to take time to do that. And the only real way to communicate vision in that way to your parishioners is the weekend homily, which presents challenges sometimes for some parishes depending on how they're structured. Mm. And cascade that vision, as you mentioned, like get to people that are closest to you and the biggest influence first, because if they're hearing it at the same time as everyone else, uh, they might not have bought in. And if they have influence and they're not bought in, it's going to cause division. And so it's really important to cascade that and win people over and and, when you see signs that people aren't one over, don't ignore them, hoping they'll catch up later. If they're people of influence, yes. really invest and yes, sit down right. and understand where you're not connecting. Because sometimes it's just semantics. Sometimes. And sometimes it really is people have a different vision. And when True. you clarify, some people, it will attract and repel. You know, some people will leave, but that's okay. And as you begin your divine renovation, you've got to be prepared for that, that some people will say that is definitely not where I want to go. It's not a church that I want to belong to. Mm-hmm. And that's an unfortunate, but it's it's going to happen. And so I think cascading that vision is key. Know who your vision carriers are, invest in them, and let it, and let it flow through. Um, issues around the weekends, you know, it's about not about informing people as much as it is sharing a dream. You know, I think of Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, you know, he said, I have a dream. He, he inspired people. He didn't say, I have a plan. I have an idea. I have a to-do list. He said, I have a dream. And, and that's what preaching around communicating vision is, is all about. See, in many ways, the church is like an addict. You know, an addict will not change until the pain of remaining where you are is greater than the pain of change, because changing is always painful. And so we need to reawaken you know for many of us in the church that the, the pain of, of a decline a church in decline or a church in maintenance is 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 it's often um, numbed you know mm-hmm. uh, we're in denial about it so uh, one of the tasks of a leader is to define reality for 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 the people so to really expose that in a loving way but make people realize you're right we can't stay here mm-hmm. and then to say look look at what could be look at what is possible and Paint a picture that people are like, wow, yes, I want that, even if it means that we have to change. And, and, and you need to do that. I'd say like our first year, and if you're in your first year, if you're listening to this podcast, preach a homily like that every three weeks, every three weeks for the first six months, definitely before you even begin to execute on anything. So so we got really um, practical up front. You're like, okay. You know, go go to a bar, grab your favorite beer, pen, a piece of paper, write down your vision, right? I mean, I'm picturing, you know, Father So-and-so with a napkin and his pen and, and you know, his favorite Canadian beer next to him. And uh, and so, like, he's got it. He's written it down. He's like, I've got the vision. This is what I want my, my parish to look like in, in five years from now. Now, <clears throat> from a practical standpoint, is he going back to, to his uh, staff meeting on Monday morning and reading from his napkin? What does it look like to actually communicate that vision? What are the ways that you can communicate that vision so it resonates? Yeah, how would you communicate that to me if you Well, were... I, you know, I, I did just that. I mean, my first year here, I wrote 
out a four-page thing. And at one point, a couple of weeks later, a staff meeting, I, I read it to the staff. I said, "This is, this is what's burning in my heart for the future of our of our of our parish." But although, and I'm going to get to the next thing, uh, the next. Uh, the next item on this, I'd already begun to to build a staff and and ha- make some new hires, and it all started with sharing the vision. There were people who came on board who knew who I knew had the same vision as I did, so that that's that's that was another thing as well. I wonder, Father James, though, knowing you for as long as I have, you have passion, so it's not something you cooked up. One day you had none, and then the next day you had some, and so you communicated it off a red piece of paper. You you have it. And so, yes, there's cert- when it comes to what we're doing now and how we're doing it, that there was a turning point there that brought incredible focus, which empowered so many of us around you. And yet at the same time, before you had that, you were always passionate about your love for Christ and your belief that, that Christ really makes a difference, a practical difference, an exciting difference in everyone's life. You always believed that. I think your ability to articulate it and, and formulate it and focus it in the parish context has matured and grown. Um, but boy, you certainly have always had that. I just want to acknowledge that. And so I always knew you were passionate before you ever wrote that document. And that's why I've always loved to talk to you and be around you. And yeah. so, well, you know, I don't know, I just bring that up because, mm-hmm. you know, there are probably people that would be perceived by others as not particularly passionate by nature. But but I think the, there's there's what burns in your heart and how you how you express it and sometimes people who may on the out on the outside seem like they don't have a lot of passion uh, because of their personality they actually mm. when you listen to their hearts there's there's passion burn there's like a deep smoldering fire in their bones and it's so you may not be as expressive or as excitable as some people uh, but but I would think if you're listening to this podcast it's because you're feeling it you're, you you want it you're 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 dissatisfied in some way. If you have difficulty articulating vision, just look at your dissatisfaction and pray with it. You know, bring it to prayer and ask the Lord to see to, to lead you through that dissatisfaction. Because the things that disturb you are going to be the inverse of the things that make you excited. Mm. You see, the mm. things that make you passionate, the things that are done poorly that drive you crazy. You flip them over, and that'll tell you what you're passionate about. You know, one of the things that just I wanted to comment on at the conference, I did meet a fellow who wasn't because sometimes people look at you, Father James, and say he's so charismatic, he's so on fire. I'm not like that. Maybe I can't do it. And I know we've talked a little bit about that before, but here was a guy who definitely saw himself very different from that, very, uh, very strategic in his thinking and everything else. But when I started asking him questions, it started to come out more and more and more. And what he realized is he didn't give himself the permission to get excited and dream, just his personality. Mm. But the more I asked him questions, the more excited he got, and he realized he did have it. So I guess my comment is you might... uh, Compare yourself to other people who may be more expressive, but I promise you, you start asking the right questions, you're going to uncover something really cool deep within you in terms of your love for Christ and your belief in what he can do in people's lives. Give yourself the permission to allow that to be uncovered and get excited about it because it's there. Because yeah, it's not just a human thing, you know, you know, write your, you might go to the, the bar and have a Canadian beer, but maybe you might want to go before the Blessed Sacrament yes. and write some, something there and ask the Lord to really put that, that fire of his spirit in your heart. Like, it's got to be a spirit-inspired vision as, as well. But, Ron, you bring up an important point, which leads us to the next one, and that's, you know, in terms of what you can do in the first six months to a year, is we've got to start building a team around you. And, and this is the thing, is, you know, we often say that there's no such thing as a well-rounded person, but there is a well-rounded team. And, and if, as an individual leader, you've got to be, don't try to be the leader that someone else is. 
Don't try to be the leader that you're not because lead out of who you are and bring a team around you to make up for your deficiencies. I mean, you've said, you know, I might be have this particular gift or that, but, you know, we've, we know that, that for me, I can, my gifts only take us to a certain point and then I usually blow everything up. You know, the, the engine blows up, you know, because I, I don't have the gifts to take it to the next level. So I've, I've got, we've gotten to where we are right now is because we brought a team around us. And we've talked a lot about a, a senior leadership team. We talked about that at the conference. We've talked about that in other podcasts. It, it, you might not be able to build completely a senior leadership team in the first year. You might be able to, but at least begin to get to identify your key people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and who are the people that bring the best out in you? Who are the people that help you think differently and, and invest some time in having you know good, great conversations? Because they'll pull out of you sometimes in some ways things that you can't uncover on your own. So we'd have a number of people say, "Well, I know what the first thing I need to do is I I need to find my Ron." I need to get a Ron. Help me to find a Ron. But, you know, it's not like you put an advert in the newspaper saying, you know, looking for, uh, for, you know, for, for this kind of person. You, you know, I've known Ron for years. And, uh, you know, when I sensed God's call for what we were going to do in this parish, I called him. I already knew him. I already knew his passion. I already knew his vision. I already knew that he challenged me in many ways. And it would be, it would be great. Yeah, it's through relationships, isn't it, that, we'll, that we will recognize the people that help make us better and and to get back like that's one of the reasons if you don't have those people in your life right now that's okay but that's one of the things that alpha's really helped us to do because it helps you cultivate loads and loads of relationships and eventually you'll start to build relationships with people that you realize this is a kindred spirit here uh and i i'm a better person with them in my life and so it's it's a great tool so it is through building relationships that you'll uncover those people that will help make you a great pastor and that person may be on your staff may not be on your staff depends on the size of your of, of your parish i mean generally if you've got a a parish of more than a thousand people you probably want your right hand person to be on your parish team um, but maybe not at the beginning, but it doesn't have to be that way. But, but that would certainly be a goal because you've got to be close to the action. Huh? So generally with the, with, the, with the leadership team, you're looking for the pastor and maybe four or five other people, uh, maybe three to five other people at most. That's all you need. And so this is not your staff team. I want to make that clear. Like, you, like if you're listening to this and you're a parish priest and you already have a staff team, your leadership team is not your staff team. Uh, now, if you only have three staff... Some of them might be, but but you you've got to really build that team around certain qualities and and and, and gifts. So I, what what I'm feeling is that we're getting ahead of one of the problems here because we're we're making the assumption that that the uh, the people that are listening already have a good sense of self. I mean, like you started off by saying, "Well, I can get it to a certain point, and then everything blows up." But that's only because you know that about yourself. And so before you can create a balanced team, you don't look for what you need. You got to look at what you are first, that's right? That's a great point. Yeah. So, so what would be some of the ways that, like, I mean, there's going to be pastors, priests listening who have uh, some sense maybe of who they are, but, you know, what they really are thinking of, what do I need? And, and yes. they might think they need people who are exactly like them. Well, I, I just contextualize that because, you know, the first, we call them the four non-negotiables of a leadership team. The first is unanimity of vision. We've already said that. You, you need to have the, the same fire burning in your hearts. Uh, the second one is, is a balanced team which means that leadership team has got to be built around the pastor. So every pastor has specific strengths. Everyone does. And, and, and certain weaknesses, and you build your team to compensate for your weaknesses. So obviously, before you can do that, you've got to have self-knowledge. And uh, here at St. Benedict Parish, we've used a couple of tools. We, 
We use uh, uh, Clifton Strengths Finder, which comes from Gallup. We found that it to be an incredibly u- useful thing. Uh, we've also used the uh, Berkman's method, and um, other churches use like DISC and Myers Briggs. So there's all kinds of stuff out there which essentially gets us to the same point. They use they're, they're slightly different, but it basically you know breaks down human human char- characteristics into basically four quadrants. And it's okay to get help for us. Brent Dolfo, who is a church consultant, helped us with that. He put us through the Berkman, and he coached us, and he helped us understand what our strengths and weaknesses were and how we were going to work together and where the pitfalls might be. Like for Father James and I, one of the things that is a potential pitfall for us is not connecting regularly because we do have a similar vision and passion and at the same time if too much time goes Mm. between our connecting then resentments can build up and we can oh never never well they could build up i'm talking hypothetically (laughs) (laughs) i think yeah i just misunderstand you know like it's and it was absolutely right on you know but that's but that's inter-team dynamics you know and and but even starting as as you said dan Starting with okay, what am I? What are my 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 top strengths? Because am I more of a relational person? Am I more strategic? Am I more of an executor? Or am I more of an influencer? Well, if you know, if I'm an influencer and I'm not, I'm very poor at strategy. Then maybe the first person that I want to get to be to be on my team is someone who's highly strategic. And then if you've got someone who's strategic and and someone who's an influencer. Well, that's going to be great. You're going to inspire and come up with great plans, but you're still not going to make anything happen because you need to have someone to execute, right? If you have a team with four people, you basically want to get those four quadrants covered. And don't do it yourself because if you're a pastor and you haven't been able to accomplish it to this point, you're probably not going to have much success doing it yourself. Mm -hmm. Get help. And so hire a consultant. And if you can't afford that, my guess is in most areas, there are people in the business world who do this stuff all the time. And they're probably in your pews who do it for free because they want to be involved with a church that's on fire and they want to see you succeed. And and they'd love to help use their skills to to help. So get help. Yeah. yeah, And this is an important step not to skip, right? I mean, because in oh. many respects, this is an easy one. Like, I know who I am. I don't need to do the, <laughs> no, no, the no, things no. there. I don't have any blind spots. Uh, <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> and and then here's the thing. You need to be willing to, you know, the te- the people you bring around you in a leadership team. Okay, you know, common vision and balance of gifts is one thing. But then you've got to be able to have uh, trust and vulnerability, which means there's going to be complete openness, and because that's going to be the foundation for for having healthy conflict over strategy and 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 how you're going to actually do things, where you have accountability as well, and you people you call each other out, and and you know if you don't have people in your team who can actually have those interactions with the pastor, it's not going to go anywhere. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. So the senior leadership team, then. I think, again, let's go back. This is what, what can you do in your first year? And these are things you can all do together. So you're, you're, you're starting, you've met with your key people, you've communicated your, your vision, you've articulated it, uh, you've spoken to pastoral council, to your staff, to your key people. You've begun to preach every three weeks about, about the vision. what it's all about, what's the purpose yeah. of the church, what's the you know, Great Commission, making disciples, what's the vision, etc. You're starting to piece together a, a, a leader, leadership team. Now, I'd say that in your first year, you can also begin to, to prepare to invest in evangelization. And our tool at St. Benedict Parish, which we recommend, is Alpha, uh, which is, for me, the, the one, the tool that has brought about the greatest amount of fruit mm-hmm. uh, over the years. And, and start, prep. If, you're going to use that, if you're going to use that tool, 
we say start prepping. Even you know you can spend the first six months, you know, basically building a team and getting ready uh, for a launch uh, six months later. So one of the things, just we got to be clear on this right up the bat, because I think some people think that we run Alpha, that we're associated with Alpha, that they're a major sponsor of Divine Renovation, uh, because we mention it so often. I know we mentioned it a lot at the conference. It comes up in, in, in your book, and we talk about it on the podcast. What's the relationship between us and Alpha? Let's get this clear and on the table. Uh, we're friends. We love them. They love us. That's it. That's, That's it. it. That's it. There That's is- it. You know, it was kind of funny, the, the, <laughs> it, the a few of the feedback forms from the conference just... Just if you said, "Oh, you you were promoting your your, your product a, a, a bit too much," and we were scratching our heads on that because we, <laughs> what product? Yeah. we well, <laughs> the, the book the conference is based on a book, so I guess it's okay to mention the book. And we mentioned the guidebook once, I think, yeah, and once. and then we really we figured it out. It was they were talking about Alpha, <laughs> as if it was our product. It is our product, but it's not our product. And even like the uh, all, all the testimonies. I think all of them, the real pivotal turning point was when people took Alpha and came on the Holy Spirit weekend, but we didn't plan it that way. We just we just looked at who are who are the people who have become missionary disciples in the last few years. Let's tell their stories. And it just so happened that that all of their stories, their turning point really was at the Holy Spirit weekend on Alpha. That wasn't planned that way. It just, it just is what happens. It's what has happened around here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because transformed lives... Uh, that's the fruit of what we say we believe. Mm-hmm. And, and if we say we believe something and we don't have fruit from it, it's not particularly compelling. And in fact, that's probably some of the frustration I've experienced in, in growing up as a Catholic is that, gosh, we say all these wonderful things. How come I'm not very good at sharing it with anybody? And I don't really see anybody else doing it in a way that we're growing because there's nobody new here. So it, it doesn't make sense to me that we say these amazing things, make these ridiculous ridiculously cool claims and yet we don't have fruit and and i believe the fruit is transform lives and if you don't have a tool that's helping you to articulate these claims and explore these ideas with people that maybe you haven't thought through yet then what are we doing? Yeah, like I think we, that was going back to the conference. I mean, you you pushed Father James. I'm pointing at you. Uh, you pushed for the the testimonies from the from the uh, during the plenary sessions. And um, for when I was looking at the agenda, I'm like, well, yeah, okay, those will be interesting. Da, 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 da. And on I went. And uh, you know, first of all, yeah, they were interesting. Not only were they interesting, they were powerful. But not only were they powerful, what what really brought home for me and what I heard from others was it's one thing to listen to you know the firecracker Father James up there when he gets going. And it's another thing to listen to Ron when Ron gets on a roll. But when you actually see the fruit run, like when you see it and it's like, oh, my God, it's not about these two guys. It's the Holy Spirit actually has done. Wow. Like it blows people away in a way that's so, so real. Yeah. But there's the, Jesus says you can't get bad fruit from a, from a healthy tree and a, and a healthy tree bears good, good fruit. So it's this is the fruit, you know, and it's the fruit of changed lives, the fruit of adults who have encountered the Lord Jesus, who have experienced the power of the Holy Spirit, who have s- submitted their lives to Christ, who, who have come into the fullness of, of life within the church, have rediscovered the sacraments, and are now living as missionary disciples. You can't argue with that. Mm-hmm. And our tool is, is Alpha. So here's the thing. If you're in your first year, you know, before you start saying, oh, I'm going to do something for kids ministry, or we're going to do something for youth ministry, we're going to do this and that. Stop, stop, stop. Evangelization, Amen. not catechesis. Like, if catechesis was the answer... That, that's what we've been doing for 30 years and it hasn't been working, so stop, don't stop doing it, but, but don't just fall back to that old strategy that hasn't borne the fruit. Start with adult evangelization. Hire someone, 
maybe that's the first thing you do is you hire a, a director of adult evangelization. And please, literally, for the love of God, don't call someone a director of evangelization and get them to do catechesis. Do evangelization. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, there are many tools out there. But again, the one that we that we find works the greatest is is Alpha. So it was the first hire I did, I did here. When I came here, I hired Ron as director of evangelization to get Alpha and Connect groups going. And, you know, when you t- talk about your visioning homilies, say you take a few months to speak about that. And, and at the end of one, you say, that's why, you know, next month we're going to hire a director of evangelization. You hire that person and you begin to invest in gathering a team together to launch your, to launch your first Alpha. Mm-hmm. And we've done a, a podcast series, three podcasts on Alpha already, the How yes. to Kill Alpha series, which I know a number of people came up to me uh, during the conference and said they loved that series and listened to it a few times. Uh, so you know, that's a great place to, to get more of a sense of Alpha if you haven't run it yet in your parish. So, so what's the last one, Father? Uh, the last one is, well, what we call in the book the three H's, the weekend experience, because here's the thing. Um, you can. It's always better to do better. It's always better to try to do better. It's always better to be better, to try to be better. And improving the weekend experience is, is, a, is, is a no-brainer. I mean, and even if at first, like we're saying, don't run immediately to just the weekend experience. Again, start with communicating vision, build a team around yourself, begin to get things moving for alpha, but then start chipping away at how you can boost the the weekend experience. And it's very, very simple. The three H's, hymns, homilies, hospitality, even starting with hospitality. It's such an easy fix. It really is like smile. Put a smile on your face, you know, so, show some joy, be, begin to invest in that, and it makes an enormous difference. Uh, look at your music, begin to create a plan for music and how you can improve your music and how maybe to in, yeah, introduce a better quality music or, or uh, contemporary mu- music at even one of your masses. And then how can you begin to improve on your preaching? And if you've started to do visioning homilies, uh, then you've probably already started to improve that. Uh, but three things you can do right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes these things are, are simple, but they're not easy. I mean, they require work. Like revamping your hospitality. I have a friend who lives in a different part of Nova Scotia who moved from here, and that was the first thing he recognized he needed to change. Talked to the pastor, both of the pastors, like, yeah, you're right. Absolutely have at it. Well, he nearly got hung trying to bring about change, even to something like hospitality, to people that have had those positions for years and years and years absolutely refused to change. Uh, and that's why the pastor shouldn't have said, you have at it. The pastor's got to see, and these are crucial starting points, it's got, the pastor cannot delegate it. Please, brothers, if anyone listening here, you can't delegate that. You've got to lead from the front at the beginning is because it's such an essential time to orient your parish in this new direction. You can delegate the, 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 the carrying out and the, and, the, and the organizational work, but in terms of inspiring people about the why behind this, you've got, you can't delegate it. You've, you've got to lead that yourself. You know, I was thinking the other day about this. I mean, one of uh, the things that's different about the divine renovation approach when it comes to the weekend experiences, we don't use the weekend experience uh, as our primary uh, interface with the unchurched. For us, it is alpha. That's We're much more secular up in Canada. So I, quite frankly, I think in order to make the weekend experience completely hospitable to people of our culture, we'd probably have to do away with the mass, which we're not going to do. So there's real limitations of what we can do with that. So we're quite clear in our strategy that our our core, when it comes to inviting others, it's not primarily to the weekend, it's, it's to Alpha. However, 
the weekend is always there's always going to be people dropping in so we have to maximize it but here's what i was thinking you know if if you're even to have a maintenance church you're going to have to invest in these three things True. Because this really struck me just just this this week. Because if we want to keep the Catholics we've got right now, we've got to have better hospitality, better music, better preaching. Because that's how bad things are. Like a lot of Catholics are dying in the pews. Mm-hmm. They may not have a, a strong sense of what the Eucharist is. There is a lot of Catholics who, because of their understanding of the sacraments, will put up with poor preaching and terrible hospitality yep. and terrible mu- music because because they have the Eucharist. But not everyone's faith in the Eucharist is that strong. And there are a lot of path Catholics with one foot in and one foot out. And for the sake of maintenance, we need to boost these things. For well the sake said. of maintenance. <laughs> um, but our primary interface with the unchurched is, is Alpha. But these are, these are, what, one, two, three, four things we can do uh, in the it's first year. Five, to, but yeah. Five things. <laughs> five things. Father James, one of the things, too, that I want people to know in here, because they might not know this. Like you said, you know, at the beginning, one of your first hires was me, and it was to be the director of evangelization to get Alpha and Connect Groups going. But let's be clear to our listeners who wouldn't know this about you. You ran Alpha yourself as the pastor for years in two previous churches in order to get Alpha going. So you only handed it off to me after you'd been engrossed in that culture for years and years. So you knew what it took to do it well, and you saw changed lives yourself. That's how you came to believe in it. So if pastors are thinking about getting Alpha going, I would say, for the love of Pete, do not delegate it to somebody else. You get involved yes. because you need to see what changed lives looks like because you can be a pastor and get so far away yeah. from the ground of seeing people come to faith that that you get you forget. You need to be in the front lines yes. of it, not just in participating in the training and the, the actual experience itself, but preaching about it, talking about it, and actually inviting people. Mm-hmm. Anytime I see people, maybe for the second or third time at church, I always say, hey, have you done Alpha yet? I might not say the very first time I see them, but <laughs> I'll always personally invite. And You've invited your banker, your physiotherapist, right? People and, outside the and, church. Uh, yeah, and at least once a year, I'll, I'll be involved in an Alpha team, and I'll be a small group post as well. So you, you need to keep your, you yeah. need to stay in the game for right. sure. So look, how do I get started? It's uh, first year vision. Write it down. Uh, you know, f- get clear on it with with yourself. Uh, communicate it to your teams. Uh, homilies. Communicate it to your people. The people in the pews. That's right. uh, begin to structure a balanced senior leadership team. Uh, identify your own strengths and those that, and then fill in the gaps with the team around you. And then the three H's. Yeah, uh, hospitality, hymns, and homilies, and then and start start prepping for Alpha. Start start moving the Alpha thing, or your 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 plan for evangelization. And I'd say that these are the your best use of that energy, that that fire, that passion in your first year. Whether the splank, the 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 passion that's in your splank now. That's uh, whether you're you you were at the conference, you've read the book, or you were at some other conference. You know, resist the temptation to rush to make a plan. Yeah. Resist the temptation to start executing because if you start doing stuff and moving stuff and no one has a clue what you're doing or why you're doing it or where you're going, that's when your parish will will, will tear apart. Yeah. And and we, we 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 can't afford that to happen. You know, change does take time. Be patient, as we said. Rick Warren said, uh, don't overestimate what can be done in one year and don't underestimate what can be done in three. 
So we've been talking about how to get started if you've been lit on fire because you were at the conference, you read the book, or something happened in your life. So there, obviously, DivineRenovation.net has resources available for you to go and, and check out. There's still some spaces left in the Divine Renovation Network. Uh, so that's the network of, of churches that you know we're, we're, we're working with, uh, about 16 to 20, uh, that, that, <laughs> that, uh, that we're going to be working with over, over the coming year. And so there's still, there's still an opportunity to apply to be one of those. Uh, also, I don't think people know about your guidebook, Father James. Uh, you just released your second your second book. Yeah, I get kind of right in the middle of the conference there. So it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, it's kind of like uh, Divine Renovation Part 2 and, and kind of also a how-to. So it's it's designed for, for pastors, leadership teams, and pastoral council members to basically implement a, a lot of what we talked about this morning in this podcast is probably about uh, 40% of the of, of the guidebook. It's kind of like to kind of hold your hand through this this task of, of, of renovating your parish over the for, over a number of years. And it's it's a it's a it's a guidebook, but it's a workbook in the sense that you write in it. And so you, yep. if you're getting one, you might want one for your your senior leadership That's team, right. not just for yourself. Uh, it's available, I think, already for order. Uh, Amazon, all the usual places. Yeah, it's just just published officially about a week ago. Or two <laughs> the, weeks ago. It was the conference, right? The first. The uh, first... Actually, no, the conference was pre-release. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually, I think it was. We a... ended up having. Well, we had like 250 odd yeah, copies there. Yeah, and they they all went, but it was uh, officially just last week officially published. I think. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, also, here at uh, Saint Benedict Parish, there are two internship opportunities opening up. We've had we have we have had two interns for the last uh, while, and we've got two new opportunities for priests yes. to apply to be interns here. Want to yeah. say a couple things about that? Uh, yeah, basically, any you know the possibility of say a six month to one year internship program. We've we've just started it. We've had uh, one priest successfully complete his in, his internship with us. It was a great experience for him and for us and uh, lots of learning and really life-giving. And so we're interested in anyone who's interested, any, any priest who might want to come and, and, and say, you know, I want to I immerse myself in the culture of your parish. I'm, I'm open to learning. I'm passionate. Uh, send us an email and let's, let's have a chat. You know, no, no guarantees. Uh, you know, we want to make sure that there's a good fit, but, but there are possibilities for, for two six-month or one-year internships. Yeah, so there'll be more information on the DivineRenovation.net website uh, very soon. And also, probably by now, um, and also if, if, if they want to get ahead of the queue, uh, just drop us uh, an email and, and we'll we'll start a conversation right. that way. Uh, so, look, uh, it's been great to be with you guys. It's, it's fabulous to have had this opportunity to come back together after being through the conference and after being offline for a while. Father James, if people want more of you, where, where should they find you? Best place is Twitter, so at FJ Mallon. Excellent. And, and Ron Huntley, if people want more of you, where should they find you? Love to speak into you through Twitter as well, at Ron underscore Huntley. And my name's Dan O'Rourke, and this has been the Divine Renovation Podcast, Back from the Dead, and we look forward to talking to you again next time. Mm-hmm.